Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Democracy Isham Touré. And I'm Danielle Moody. And someone we love, Rihanna, has become a billionaire. Yes. And salute to her. She has conquered the beauty world in a way that is far surpasses what she did in the recording artist world. She was a top recording artist, but she is a major business star. But all of y'all out here celebrating this, like this is some communal victory. I do not understand you, and we are not the same, because all billionaires represent the failure of capitalism and millions of other people who must be poor so that the billionaire can sit on a gigantic stack of money, and we're going to go deep all through this on this show. Yeah, I think that in life, not just like people want a fairy tale. They love the fairy tale. They love the idea of Cinderella scrubbing the floors and then magically she turns into, ta-da, look at me, I'm a billionaire, right? Which would be the new Cinderella story sure. in the 21st century. She goes on right? Shark Tank. Yeah, she sells Mark her Cuban slippers. backs her product. And now it's on QVC. <laughs> so like- I think that why why people, particularly black people, celebrate um, the billionaire status of a Rihanna, of a Kanye West, is because their backstories make us believe that at some point in time, we too can be this thing. Mm. Rihanna is an island girl, right? Mm -hmm. Who grew up around her family, deep island roots, like didn't come from much, had an extraordinary Mm -hmm. talent. And then, you know, was able to, through her learnings and her failings and mentorship and all of these things, create this incredible, on her own terms, mm-hmm. brand. And, and not, only, not only that, but there's an interesting career shift. Ponder replays a great little song, but she started out with much more of a, let's say, traditional modern reggae sound mm-hmm. and transitions into more of a pop reggae sound. Mm-hmm. And that's where she finds gigantic stardom and like intelligent shift of the image and the sound early in the career that launches her to the stratosphere. 
extraordinary vocal artist, right? And, you know, I, I do see something to celebrate in that her success is differentiated from all white billionaires success yes. which all, which always includes white privilege and always includes daddy's money almost always includes right. money from daddy be it Elon Musk comes from yep. multimillionaire parents mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos was able to get a $250,000 loan from his parents mm-hmm. Zuckerberg comes from money so it's not usually like I started with nothing and then became a billionaire so Rihanna comes from nothing she does not have family money. She does right. not have white privilege to stand on. So I salute that. But I return to the notion that every billionaire represents the failure of capitalism because you cannot have somebody acquiring that much money without other people being in economic and financial pain. And where we are right now is at the greatest disparity in terms of wealth inequality in the history of the United States, perhaps in the history of the world. Right. The top 1% in America have more wealth than the bottom 90%. Yep. Th- that is not economically sustainable. It is not uh, politically sustainable, right? I mean, like, because you don't understand, here's the game. Billionaires give money to politicians both sides of the aisle d's and r's which then they work together to create policies that That, allow mm -hmm. billionaires to create more money favorable taxation uh allow them to create monopolies trademarks and copyrights favorable all sorts of favorable business practices which then leads them to make even more money and they give even more money to politicians, mm-hmm. which allow them to create even more money. While not having to be accountable to anyone. Right. And that's the right. dangerous thing about billionaires on both sides of the aisle, whether you are the Koch brothers or the Koch brother, or you're the Squib family that had Nancy Pelosi do a complete and total 180 on student loans um, after a meeting with this billionaire, very um, prominent California real estate couple. And it's this idea that our polit, like just in general, billionaires present both the dream and the nightmare mm-hmm. that we that we in America we we cling to. Lifestyles of the rich and famous. I will never forget that show. Robin mm-hmm. Leach Robin going Leach. around. It's just like, oh my God, look at them. You want to know how they live? What is it like to have a full? What was it? The last uh, Kardashian show was Kim Kardashian talking about getting into a fight with her sister who got into a fight with a member of her staff. And that's how she said she was a. Me- She's just like, I don't expect you to talk to a member of my staff that way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, we are in a different world like you operate in a different world and so for us billionaires are like "Ooh, i want to know what it's like to have anything that i want at any moment's notice but then on the other hand it's just like well what the fuck how did you get that how did you get there why is it you and not me and if i were given if i were afforded the same opportunities like would i have been able to do that so for black billionaires i think particularly what makes us so endeared to them is because they started out like us They started out fairly normal, whether it was either uh, low income, poor or middle class like Kanye West. And then they, you know, had this magic about them that turned into something. Well, let's not make the mistake of thinking that that there is a strict meritocracy where 
the billionaires are just they're just smarter they just worked harder they just did it better than people no. who only made triple digit millions who did better than people who only made double digit million like that is not right. the case there, there's many situations where people are billionaires were able through whatever different means to create uh, monopolies that in other situations would be illegal. There's insider trading that is quite often part of creating mm -hmm, billionaire mm -hmm, status. Mm -hmm. There's there's all sorts of gifts. I mean, like if Amazon wants to come into a community, there's all sorts of gifts oh, yeah. that are given to them. Every wall all of their tax breaks. Every every Walmart represents a million dollars. Every Walmart store represents a million dollars coming out of the community, going into Walmart. A lot of the people who work at Walmart are working below minimum wage and need other jobs. Amazon quite often hires planning to fire you before you get to a certain level of uh, benefits that they would have to pay you. So all these sorts of things are part of why a Jeff Bezos is able to make so much money because he's not paying, you know, the Walton family who are something like five or six of the top 10 richest people in America. They're paying the people who work for them nothing. Right. And this is part of why they're able to make so much money that they're not paying people. So again, the billionaires are that rich because they are depressing the wages of the poorest. And our politicians who are supposed to be fighting on behalf of our needs, we can't get a $15 minimum wage across right. this country because of, because why? Oh, because we're going to hurt companies. Right. This is all, this is always the rhetoric. And, and honestly, it's not just Republicans that we hear it from. Right. It's we need to protect companies because we've turned companies into people. Right. right. And so we need to protect their interests. And what will happen if all people are able to make a living wage? Well, oh, I don't know. Maybe your CEO will have one less house. Maybe your shareholder will take one less trip. But that means that everyone else could be a homeowner or put food on the table. Is Rihanna a revolutionary figure as a billionaire if she pays less in taxes proportionately than her assistant? No. Yeah. You're not right. That, that Warren no. Buffett situation where he pays less in taxes than his secretary. And he's like, this is wrong. This should not exist. And I, if you're making, if your wealth is tied up in stock, like a Bezos, like Rihanna probably is now like a Buffett, um, you are probably paying less proportionately yes. than your assistant, than your secretary. Right. How is this? How does this make sense? Because Donald Trump tells us I'm just smarter. Mm. Right. He's like I'm just uh, well, he's definitely not. But the whole like, but this is the this is the other way in which we create deities of billionaires. Right. Because our assumption, too, is that you got to that place because you were smarter. Right. Because, and so we don't necessarily want to fix the system because we all think that we're sitting on Willy Wonka's golden ticket right. at yeah. some point and we're going to be able to cash it in. So I don't want to change a system that I could potentially at some point in my Absolutely. life benefit from. And that's the logic because that's the way that they feed it to us. But where is the direct benefit to most black people from LeBron, Jay-Z, Puffy, uh, Dr. Dre, Rihanna, Oprah, I might have missed one, Robert, um, I forget. Yes, I know who you're talking about. Where is the direct benefit? I think there's like 10 black billionaires or something like that, right, in America. Okay. Where or maybe eight, right, where is the direct benefit 
to us. I don't see it. Now, look, I know LeBron has a great school in yes. Akron. Support, uh, salute to Oprah for her school in South Africa, which is changing lives. And I don't fault her for doing that in South Africa. She has a diasporic mindset. She wants to help people. The girls in South Africa need help too. But these things are virtual pennies or dollars to a billionaire. They could create disruptive generational change. Like, like put five or seven billionaires together and peel off a hundred, $150 million, an amount that they would not, Oprah could write a $150 million check. She wouldn't notice it, right? Beyonce, uh, Rihanna's making 500 million a year from Fenty Beauty, right? She could write a $150 million check, wouldn't notice it. Nothing in her life would change. Could end black child poverty. Could create a fund where Millions of black people are suddenly able to buy, uh, home, get home loans and start to create wealth. Could put 100,000 black kids in the, through college for free, changing the course of black history forever. If we saw these sorts of things, and there, that would mean that there is a direct uh, benefit. And the reason why I would say that they do have some responsibility is yeah. because in all these situations, what I'm thinking of, uh, there is a direct relationship between them acquiring this level of wealth and having black fans. Rihanna is selling makeup largely to black and brown, brown women. people. Mm -hmm, people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. she's she her line is truly special because it's well made, but also because they are they are working on the shades that most of the other beauty lines Just don't refused. pay attention to, Yeah, right? Dr. Dre, right, Beats. I mean, like, yeah, everybody bought Beats headphones, but really because they saw all the black athletes, professional in college, wearing them. And all them. of the entertainers and producers right. that they love wearing them. LeBron is cool because he's the coolest back black basketball player out, right? Like, there is a direct relationship between being able to sell and or being cool two black people that they're able to use to become billionaires. And so where are you getting, I'm just saying if but we're going to celebrate them, where is the direct payout or direct relationship to us where we get our lives changed because certain black people have amassed so much wealth. But I wonder, you know, I wonder who advises these folks, right? So, several of the ones that you've mentioned, they create foundations, right? You have the Sean Carter Foundation. Diddy has a foundation. You have the B, uh, Beyonce's Be Good. Like you have all of these things that are these charitable foundations for them to be able to put their names on, but be a part of campaigns that are actually doing um, good, either domestically, internationally, or both. Right. And and I think that that is great. But I also don't necessarily think that there are people, a collective that is guiding and saying, here's the things that we need. Right. That is that is doing the ultimate pitch that is saying to Diddy and, the, and Kanye and Oprah and the rest of them saying, you know what? Do you know what would make like a significant difference, right? Is exactly what you're saying. We need you to be the Voltron for the black community and come together and look at the five major things that are impeding our ability to build black wealth. And I think that if you were to just look at that, if you were to just take one of the things that you said with regard to home ownership, 
right? And figure out the ways in which we're going to funnel our money, let's say, into one United Bank or Industrial Bank, one of the two only black banks left in the country, right? That we're going to create this type of entity where we're rolling out with home loans and all of these things because that is the direct way in which we build wealth. I think that what has happened over the last 20 some odd years from these people just doing what they did and being really good at it, from Oprah just being, you know, a talk show host, Jay-Z just being a rapper, they've, they have increased their learnings and their understanding of the world around them. When you used to listen to Jay-Z's rap and all of these folks, right? It was just about their struggle and their life. And now I'm popping champagne and I got the women and I got the things. They are thinking in a much more expansive way. I was just listening to Nas's latest album. The, the expansion right? In the way that they think and their platforms and their power. I think that there is an opera. I don't want to shame them into doing these things and say that you owe us something because I don't think that that's the way, but I do think that there's a conversation to be had about how do we operate outside of these white capitalistic structure and system that was never built for us? How do you help us create something that is different, that is about our empowerment, a for us, by us model that is outside of these, that is outside of these systems. With great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. And there are so few people who could come together and create some disruptive change force and to not do, to have the ability to do it and not do it. I mean, I asked you, I would ask the listeners, if you could end or severely dent black child poverty or black child food insecurity, would you not do it? And I imagine everybody listening, be like, of course I would. I would empty my bank account to do that, especially when I know I have a money printer and more is coming in. Imagine you could do that without significantly changing your life. I don't have to sell any homes. I don't have to sell any stock. I don't have to fire any of the people on my staff. staff. Right? I don't have to miss one private flight. I don't have to skip one dinner at Nobu. Right? (laughs) I can continue to live my life the exact way I want. I don't have to get rid of my butler or my house manager or anybody else. And I could end black child food insecurity. Of course you would do it. You would do it tomorrow. And if you have the ability to do it and you don't do it, is that not immoral? I mean, I would argue that having the ability, I mean, we talked about this as it pertained to the dick measuring competition, you know, in outer space, right? Mm -hmm, It takes mm -hmm. 20, it would take $25 billion, according to some statistics to end childhood, childhood poverty in general, 25 billion. And like you're saying, that is nothing to these people. Not when you're talking about multiple zeros behind your billion. It is nothing. And I'm like, are we asking of them enough? But there are, you know, when I look at the shade room comments under uh, uh, the announcement about, you know, about uh, Rihanna, it was like people are celebrating and they're, you know, all of the emojis. And then folks are saying, well, she should, to your point, do X, Y, and Z. She should be, and but the comments under that are like, she doesn't owe people anything. It's their money. Why See, are you telling people what they should be doing with their money? That's a that's a pervasive attitude. That is part of why they don't have to do anything. Yep. And that is somehow a notion that billionaires have seeded us with. 
that this is a communal victory. They won the game. They should be celebrated. You should not tell them what to do with their money. And so we have poor people basically saying the wealthy should get to do whatever they want with their (laughs) money. And like, yeah, I mean, okay, but we're not talking about Danielle made $100 and she wants to spend 20 on a bag or a dinner or whatever. We're talking about you have more money than you and your kids could and your grandkids spend. could ever spend, right? When we were talking about million-dollar fortunes, like a generation, two generations yep. ago, we talked about things like, uh, I forget the exact phrase, but sleeves to shirt sleeves in a generation, right? Mm-hmm. So people would, like, the kids would come along, be lazy, not have motivation, and the grandkids would be starting from scratch, right? Mm-hmm. This billion-dollar fortune is not going to be pissed away by you know the fool grandson like these your family is set for generations yep. and you have 90 percent of the wealth in the society you could use that to change people's lives and the thing is that i, I talked to this white billionaire once and he was saying that the wealth gap the racial wealth gap is a core part of the problem in America and black people mm-hmm. will never truly have power and justice in America until that is addressed. And that is really the central issue that everything else flows from. If we had wealth that was commensurate with our place in society, we would be able to have the political power to take care of many other problems, be it education, policing, what have you. And he was talking about uh-huh. making a significant donation that would represent uh privately funded reparations and he for whatever reason has so far chosen to not do that i had this conversation with him several years ago and he's chosen to not do that so far for whatever reason but oprah jay-z puffy rihanna uh beyonce could do this without really even losing much without really even noticing it you know that's such a that is a really interesting point and a really interesting thing to unpack because when we look at the policy when we when we always say what's the black agenda you know every like year urban league wants to do like this is the black agenda this is this is all black people's problem and like the ways that we tackle them and we look at criminal justice reform and you, you know, you look at jobs and you look at addiction, you look at healthcare, all of, you know, all of these different facets. And I just like, as you were stating what this, what the, the man said that you spoke to, like all of these light bulbs go off. Everything, the problem, every single problem that you can look to in, in the black community and most marginalized communities, it has to do with money right? There wouldn't be such high crime if everybody had a job. There wouldn't be, we wouldn't be talking about low income schools, schools that are underfunded because they're in the wrong zip code. If everybody was able to own the homes that they were, that they were living in and then had that, had the power to be able to, you know, dictate what it is that politicians actually do, because now you see me. Because all of us, you see green, the, so then you can you can now see me. The trauma we feel because we live on top of each other in projects that were not mm-hmm. meant to house human beings. And it's you know I remember working back in the day for 
Mayor Bloomberg's Office of Federal Affairs. And this was when the Consumer Protection Agency was just like starting in New York City. And it was looks like one of the one of the rollout programs, too, was we need to put financial financial literacy needs to be a part of schooling. Right. Oh like, fi- like, why? Oh why do we not like you were too busy when I w- when I was when I was growing up, we're learning how to fucking sew in home ec. Right. And you're learning how to bake a motherfucking pie. But ain't nobody teaching you how to save your money, how to invest in stocks, how to, you know, how to do any uh, how to balance it at, at that time, balance a checkbook, do any of these taxes, things. deductions. But do you know that there was pushback into teaching financial literacy? And now I understand why. Because you see, when you are able to be financially literate, when you are no longer like needing to suckle on the teat, right, of mm. of 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 any of 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 these capitalistic systems, when you're able to build on your own, then you don't need them. And so you need to create you even if it's an artifice, you need to create this need. You need to create this gap. Right. And because if you were to give people the tools to do better then they're actually going to do better. Then they're actually going to start holding you to account for the things that you are doing. People have to understand that the poor, and by that I mean the middle class and And the working class, make money from time. When I am on the clock, I am making money. When I am not on the clock, I am not making money. The upper class make money from money. I own mm. assets, homes, stocks, you know, Bitcoin. These things rise in value and I make money from that, right? So this is why they have tremendous amounts of leisure time because it. I don't need to show up somewhere at 10 a.m. I own a company that get generates profit yep. whether or not I am there, right? The caricature of the boss who breezes in at noon, and then leaves it two to go play golf because he has a president or a manager yep. who's doing the actual day-to-day bolt nuts and bolts work of it all, but he's making money or she's making money from the profits of the company. That's the way that you actually start to make money. You have to own stock. You have to own assets like companies that are making money, right? You own a stock in companies that you are parts of companies that you don't own. So Tim Cook and, you know, Steve Jobs and Elon Musk are working for your money to help your money grow, etc. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change. 
a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. This show is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. The midterms are coming and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections. We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors, and their political party instead of for us. We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering, and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with Represent Us, a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs. Right now until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting, and they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls. Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod. I saw this comedian last night who was talking about the exact same thing you're talking about. She knows, she said, I understand what A squared times B squared equals C squared is, but that has never, ever mattered in my entire life. Not one. But they never taught us how to balance a checkbook or the importance of owning stock or the value of, of, of paying your taxes. I mean, like as valuable as, as citizens, which is what school is supposed to do, teach us how to be good citizens. That's why we learn the history of the country. So we understand the value of the country we're in. Shouldn't we teach people? Yes. Here's how and why you pay taxes. So they understand how to do, so you can be an informed citizen. I mean, the first few years that I was making money, I didn't pay taxes because I was like, well, maybe I can get out of this. And then they send me a big bill and I'd be like, "Ah, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah, I was a freelancer. I didn't understand. I'm supposed to pay quarterly taxes. They kept giving me these checks that the company I was working for. I didn't realize I'm supposed to pay quarterly taxes. Nobody. How did I get through school? And nobody explained that to me. How did I get through school? And nobody ever explained if you don't own stock, then the only money you ever make will be money that you make rather than allowing your money to make money for you. And here's the other thing too. Poor people think that savings accounts are how to grow your money. Right. Because you're taught taught if you, you, the, 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 the teachings that society gives to you is that you are frivolous. Right? right. And so if, if I want this nice thing, right, then I shouldn't want that. I should put my money in savings like you are taught that savings accounts are akin to saying I'm going to walk to Philadelphia from New York. That is the slowest way. To, I mean, you'll get there eventually, but you're making a pittance. Right. You have to own stock if you want your money to actually 
make money. You have to own pieces of other companies. And I mean, the other thing that I've learned, and this is just my personal uh, study and failure and success within the stock market, mutual funds are a game. They will rob you because you have bought a block of companies. There's no way that this block of 10 companies will all go up in a way that will be meaningful to you, but they will never all crash to where you'll call the broker and be like, what the hell happened right. to my, now- They sell stability. If they sell stability, but stability is not how you make money. You have to take some but risk. How are, but, how, buy, but how do you tell people, but how do you, how do you sell that idea to people who only know risk to array that's that's that to me that that is the biggest issue when you say you have to you have to make and and risk in order to build you're absolutely right but, but for you, people who literally are just trying to get stable you have to calculate whether or not you have the ability to risk well yes absolutely you have to buy individual hey i'm alok the host of build the change a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Companies that you believe in, that you believe, mm -hmm. and look, crib off of other people's homework. Look at what Kathy Wood does. Look at what Charlie Munger does. Look at what Walt uh, Warren Buffett does. Just follow what they do, right? It, 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 I mean, that's what I do. I'm not some stock-picking genius. Kathy Wood is a stock-picking genius. I'll do what she does. Tesla is her number one acquisition. I buy a lot of Tesla, right? Square is her number two acquisition. I'm looking to buy more Square, right? Apple is Warren Buffett's number one. I, I buy a lot of Apple. It, it, it freaking works. It's not that complicated. But if you're not buying individual companies, then you're setting yourself up for failure. But I do understand what you're saying, that the folks who are making very little- The least. Do not have enough money and enough wherewithal in a lot of cases, right? They're not taught about the, nobody they know has stock, right? They, I mean, I, I argue with people who think that the stock market is a game and they shouldn't be involved in it at all. It's all, it's too risky. It's all a game. Like what we need to do, right. And what I believe that these billionaires could do to your point is create a foundation of stability that then people can grow from and be able to calculate their risk in order to actually build wealth. I mean, but if you're not meeting, if people's basic needs are not met, then you're telling them to literally walk into 
five-lane highway traffic and hope they don't get run over. I mean, can you imagine all these billionaires we're talking about creating a fund whereby black people are collecting a universal basic income? Bitch. Privately oh, funded. Oh, that's a good one. So you don't have to be afraid of where your next check is coming from because you know you're going to get something from the Rihanna and Jay-Z and Oprah fund. And now I can think about how do I get ahead on my mortgage? How do I, I want to invest in Apple. I want to try to start a business. universal black basic income. Come on now. I think we should pitch this. (laughs) And by we, I'm just going in to sell your point. Now (laughs) we are getting a benefit This is where the billionaires are like economic Harriet Tubman leading us to liberation. Because, you know, in all of the things that we're saying, what I recognize, like I've always believed wholeheartedly in the public education system. It's why I became a teacher. It's why I wanted to do education policy, because I'm like, if we can just teach young people, right, about like global citizenship, about financial literacy, about all these things. That's how we create a better world. And then I got older and I'm reading and I'm listening and understanding, you know, what what Audre Lorde said about like the master's tools <laughs> not going to dismantle the master's house. They ain't going to teach you shit that they don't want to come back and bite true, them. True. So why are you relying true. on the very class of people that are keeping you oppressed for their benefit to teach you how to get free. They are never going to do that. I love Audre Lorde. Her memoir is an amazing, amazing book. Um, You know, public schooling is the only area that I can think of where taxation becomes hyper-local. When I pay taxes to New York City, I am funding roads that I will never drive on and parks that I will never get to, and police officers who will never get to beat me up. (laughs) No, you didn't. But when it comes to taxes, the taxes are hyper-local. So I am funding the school down the street. But in a world of redlining and segregation, then that means that we are funding poorer schools because of the nature of the people who are in our community versus, you know, in New York, the Upper East Side and the Upper West Side are higher income areas, right? So those school, you know, even even Park Slope is a higher income area. So why is that? What if we had taxation for public schooling that was spread out mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the same way that all the tax dollars of every other sort are, then we would have much more equitable schooling and better schooling for everyone, no matter what ground. Now, one thing that I learned when my children first started going to school was to not argue with people about public versus private school because it never goes well. And people who believe in public school do not want to hear about private school. And the people who only know private school not want to pay taxes to send your fucking well we have to pay taxes but we don't want to hear about yeah public school and like you know my parents who came from nothing my dad grew up in the projects in in harlem and brooklyn um decided early on we're going to spend as much as we possibly can for school and sent uh my sister and i to this great private school and 
I, it has made a gigantic difference in my life. Private school, the high school was much harder than college, much harder and much more formative than college. And when you talk about the master's not going to give you the tools mm -hmm. to dismantle his house, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I absolutely see that where public school was not training people to become mm -hmm. the leaders. And it was private... training you to become a cog in, a, in, in, in the machine. And the private school is absolutely teaching you both in what the education you were getting and the spiritual education. I don't mean what we're learning in terms of, of religion, but the sense that we are training you to be the leaders of tomorrow. We are expecting great things from you. Um, that was inculcated in us from an early age. And yeah, like that, that is a big part of that education. You know, I'm a product of public schools and what I remember and what my mother has always said is that when she came to the United States and, you know, she has my sister and I, and she needed to move to an area. This is, this is how we ended up, you know, out East on Long Island. I needed to move to the best school district I could afford to live in. Right. And so when we set up our society in that way, where you have to figure out, well, where can I afford? What can I afford to do? And I remember because I had friends that were getting ready. They had gone through elementary school and public school, but as they were hitting middle school, their parents were pulling them out and sending them to private school. And my, and I said to my mother, I'm like, well, just because I wanted to hang out with my friends, I was just like, you know, can I go to private school? And she was just like, well, you know, we will have to talk about that because it's expensive. Right. And my mother is a registered nurse and she was a single uh, mother after my parents divorced. And so it's just the idea that you have to be nimble and mobile in order to be able to provide your kid with the best that you can do at that time. Yeah. And so we keep saying like, you know, folks need to learn and need to do this and need to do that. And it's just like, but we purposefully don't give them the tools to do it. We mm -hmm. purposefully keep you. So you, if you're born in poverty, it is more likely that that cycle will continue oh. because that's the structure that you are in. And we don't call it a caste system in the United States, but it absolutely, no, it, there it, absolutely it, it, is it, it, one. There is absolutely a caste system in the United States now. Um, there was a study a few years ago that showed now the United States, the likelihood that you will end up in the class that your father was born into is extremely high. Um, which was not the way. No, that's actually America is that was working back? Was be. that working backwards? Because aren't you supposed to be your? The whole goal is to be better off than your parents right, were, right. and now you're living in your parents' basement because you can't afford to buy their home, let alone a home. Right, right. I mean, you know, look. The one thing that I want to say to folks listening, I understand that many people cannot afford private school. There are many private schools that will bend over backwards in terms of financial aid to try to help, you know, talented black students be able to afford their schools. So look into that. And please, for the love of God, don't tell me that you don't want to send your kids to private school because they will end up to be snooty or something, right? That is something that we, as a parents, as community, can breed out of them, right? Like that, it's not like, oh, if they go to Spence or whatever, they're going to become snooty and uh, an elitist. And just because the other kids are, you know, you're not. My mother, my mother told me before the first day that I went to private school, first grade, that you have to be twice as good as those white kids. So it wasn't like, 
you can be elitist. But also, you have more work to do than they do. And also, but because I know many people that had had the money and decided that they weren't going to send their kids to private school. And it was for this reason, because part of school isn't just about the quality of education that you're getting. Yeah. It's also the social component. Yeah. And if you're not able to compete at the social level of uh, Kitty Cat and Tootsie's birthday party that they bought out, you know, the big hotel for that their parents are flying them to, you get marginalized in other ways because you're not able no, to compete. That they're, they're, no, I mean, no, I'm saying no, that is that entirely that backwards. Is, that is entirely backwards. That if you are not friendly with Kitty Cat <laughs> and what's her name and Josh and Brittany, and, and you're not able to talk to them on their level, and you don't understand that white people are no smarter than anyone else. And you don't, and I walk into situations like I'm not impressed by your whiteness. And that comes from being around them that you come from. I went to school with kids who had tons of money, generational money. I'm never impressed or intimidated by them because I've been around them all my life. And that, that, and I, I walk in these situations knowing them, right? Knowing, I know you specifically, I know people like you. I can, I have a network that includes people who went to wherever for vacation. We didn't go mm -hmm. to Switzerland or, you know, Newport beach for vacation, but I know people who did. So I could connect. I have one degree of separation from you that I can use to get into this job or this room or whatever. That is absolutely critical and important. Yeah. If you go to those schools, I think that it's important to be able to navigate any of the spaces that you're in. And I think that that's once why you, you go to those and schools, once you get, once you are able to navigate in those spaces, right. Um, it opens up, it does open up, uh, an entirely different, a, in different world and a different opportunities. But I just, you know, again, the best part of this particular episode is black universal income. <laughs> and I am like, can that happen? They should call us. Thank you <laughs> for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And we'll be back. And black <laughs> and rich next week. <laughs> <laughs>